is a Woodside Church podcast. It's amazing to be back here. I don't know, is it three years now? Since 2019 or something, when we moved to the, to the west side. And it was good to be back here and to see all of you and to see that you're thriving and doing well. <clears throat> so we, me and my wife, Sunu, and our three children, we came to Bedford in 2002 when I you know, came to Bedford Hospital to work as a physician. And we've been part of Woodside ever since. And um, so my wife, Sunu, is there at the back, you know, that's her. And uh, we've got three children. Two of them are married. The last one was two weeks ago. And we've got three grandchildren. And um, Christine and Gary are part of this, um, this site. They are uh, my son-in-law Richard's parents. So we are well and truly connected here. And uh, <clears throat> so this morning, uh, I think uh, when I woke up, my wife, as usual, gives me a cup of tea, uh, a cup of coffee, sorry, she says a cup of coffee. And uh, it was hot, and I burned my, my, my tongue. And, but I'm sure that won't interfere with my <laughs> preach today. Uh, speaking of coffee and sunu, I mean, there was, um, uh, uh, um, and I remember an episode when uh, I had an irritation in my throat and I was coughing, and uh, she was drinking this hot cup of coffee, it was steaming, and she said, have a drink of this, swallow it down, and it will soothe your throat. And I looked at the cup, it was steaming, and she told me to swallow it down, and that's my wife, okay? <laughs> and... Uh, She's an amazing woman, all right? And she gave me an abject lesson in faith as we were traveling this morning. And she offered to drive. And, um, and we were going through a narrow road and cars parked on either side. And she was negotiating this at a reasonable speed. And uh, I was, you're going to hit the curb. And she said, look, I'm in charge here. I'm driving. You need to have trust in me. <laughs> Guys, that is my preach today. That's it. All right? <clears throat> All right. So we are doing our series on vision. And Martin started the series off a few weeks ago and he spoke about the church in Antioch. Following the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem and the disciples were scattered. Those who went to Antioch exercised remarkable faith, and this resulted in the establishment of a wonderful community of believers on mission to both Jews and Greeks. And they built a legacy of, that led to church planting breakthrough and success. So on my, uh, in my preach on faith, I'm looking at four points. Uh, what is faith? What are its characteristics? Things to be aware of when we are on a journey of faith, and how do I know that I have faith? So the first thing, what is faith? So I basically borrowed the definition of faith from the most famous verse on faith in the Bible, from Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And I'm not going to expand on this at this point in time because it will become clear as we go through the preach what it means. So let us look at these believers in Antioch. 
They lost their home because of the persecution in Jerusalem, and they were scattered in foreign lands. But wherever they went, they kept faith in the Lord Jesus and preached the good news of the Savior, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The grace of God was in full display in their midst. So coming to the second point, faith in God is characterized by obedience and trust in God against all odds, whatever the circumstances, by tremendous risk-taking, departure from comfort zones, giving up on logic and what we know to be best, and we can summarize as a sacrifice, Unconditional devotion to God, knowing Him and being with Him. And finally, getting caught up in the King's mission in His way and with His wisdom and His strength. Now, at this point, I think, you know, to, to talk about faith, it'll be useful to tell some stories. And I would like to tell some story. you know, I can keep talking forever and ever, because I've got so many stories to tell you, but I will tell you one story. So I am a doctor. I was a trainee registrar. I was training to be a a lung physician in Yorkshire, and I'd come to the end of my five-year training period, and the plan was for us as a family to go back to India. And uh, so we had land in India, gifted to us by our parents, and we had saved enough money to build a house. I mean, in India, we, we always build a house. We don't buy one. We build a house. And um, so the plan was to be involved in some sort of... I've written it down because I can digress big time, all right? So it'll help me keep on the straight and narrow. So the plan was to be involved in some mission work in India, and we felt that was our calling. But God had other plans, and he asked us to stay back in the UK. And it was not an easy decision, particularly for my wife, who told me repeatedly that it was my imagination. And I said, okay, it could be my imagination, but we have to test it out. And so we decided to test this out and move to Bedford. We connected with the church here, and we felt straight away the first day we were here that this is going to be a home and this is where we are going to stay. And um, we became a part of Uncle Charles and Auntie Afrosa's community group. And... um, David Devinish and Co. were on fire, okay? And it was exciting. There was all this teaching about grace and the outworking of grace, and we were growing, you know, and it was fantastic. It was exciting. And within a few weeks of coming to Bedford, uh, a couple called Santosh and Shilby, they are from Kerala, from South India, from where I come from, and uh, they happened to know us, and they came to know that we are here in Bedford, And there were five Malayali families, Kerala families here, and they asked us if we would teach them the Bible. So we felt, oh, wow, great, okay? And um, so we started, you know, teaching, and we started doing this teaching uh, every other Sunday after church. So Sunu would cook, and I and Uncle Charles, who is here, part of the church here, he would, we would take turns to teach the Bible. Very soon... 20 more nurses arrived. Now, you know that lots of nurses are coming from Kerala. So 20 more nurses arrived from Kerala, and they joined a Bible study group. So Sunu would cook uh, for, uh, for everyone, and as I said, Uncle Charles and myself would teach. 
Later on, more and more people came. And then we heard that there were people from Kerala coming to the Bedfordshire University at the Luton campus. So we went there and connected with a few people. And that is where we picked up Hudson and Vidya, whom you know. You know. Um, our home was open to all these people, and we used our own resources to meet the need. And slowly the fruits came, people get, start getting saved and got baptized, and we connected with their family back in India as well, and they start getting saved as well. And in this process, my brother, my mother, my brother-in-law, and my father-in-law got saved and baptized as well. Our success rate at that time was approximately 10%. Okay? Praise God. We were renting initially as we were not certain that what God's plan was, where our future was going to be. But after one and a half years, it became very clear to us that, you see, we wanted to go to Kerala, but God was bringing Kerala here, and that is why he wanted us to be here. And so we decide, okay, to... So, so God has a plan in all these mass migrations, church, okay? So bear that in mind. God has a plan in all these mass migrations. So after two years, God enabled us to buy a house with sufficient land that we had dreamt of. You see, we as a family, we wanted, we loved the land. You know, we wanted to do a little bit of, you know, uh, gardening and growing vegetables and everything. So land was part of a dream. But we had given up on it because we thought, that's it, end of this. But after two years, God enabled us to buy a house with land and everything, something we thought we had given up. The one verse that comes to mind is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Hallelujah. Now, I want to read you, tell you another example, another story. And this is by a man called God Smuggler, Brother Andrew. I read his book several years ago, okay? And when I was preparing for this preach, I felt I had to read you something from his book. And so I was looking for this book desperately. I couldn't find it. Then I called Hudson, and he dug this book out of the church library. So I'm going to read you a small bit from this book. And this is how it goes. At the chocolate factory, I trusted Mr. Ringers to pay me in full and on time. Surely I said to myself, if an ordinary factory worker could be financially secure, so could one of God's workers. And then he goes on, uh, I turned through the gate at the school. Above me was a reminder, have faith in God. That was it. It wasn't that I needed the security of a certain amount of money. It was that I needed the security of a relationship. If I were going to give my life as a servant of the king, I had to know that king. What was he like? In what way could I trust him? In the same way I trusted a set of impersonal laws, or could I trust him as a living leader, as a very present commander in battle? The question was central, because if he were a king in name only, I would rather go back to the chocolate factory. I would remain a Christian, but I would know that my religion was only a set of principles, excellent and to be followed, but hardly demanding devotion. Suppose, on the other hand, that I were to discover God to be a person, in the sense that he communicated and cared and loud and led, that was something quite different. That was a kind of king I would follow into any battle. Hallelujah. And that was the beginning of his faith journey. This man asked for nothing of any man or any organization. 
and without any guaranteed resources, distributed countless Bibles across the Iron Curtain and shared the love of God with thousands of people. Church, that is faith. Hallelujah. Whilst he went about his king's business, both his and his family's physical and material needs were wonderfully met. And this is something that has happened in our lifetime. This man only passed away a few years ago. You see, church, what I'm trying to say is that I was not the smartest, nor was I the brightest, nor was Brother Andrew, nor were the believers in Antioch, okay? nor were the believers in Jerusalem. But, and, and, and neither am I perfect, I have made mistakes. In fact, Apostle Paul takes the first part when he says, I am the, the chief of all sinners. I'm the, what does he say? I'm the worst of all sinners, and I will happily take the second spot. But what did I and Sunu do? Very simple. He asked us to stay, and we stayed. He opened a door and said, speak about me, and we spoke. There was no fanfare, no planning meetings, Okay, no training, I had no training in this, but I knew who my God was. I knew what he had done for me. And when we started speaking, God taught it. It was training on the job. Just obedience to our savior. And this is faith, church, this is faith. Interestingly, me and Sunu were the guys who benefited the most because we learned from God the most. Okay, and this was training on the job for us. Now that brings us, you know, nicely to the third point, things to be aware of when we are on a journey of faith. Number one, God does not choose people because of their ability, because of their perfection or their readiness, but because of their availability. You see church, if you're making yourself available, you show that you have faith in him. The second point is this. He is with you. You are not on your own. Along with him, all of heaven's resources are available to you and to me. I don't know if you realize, my father and your father own the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay? He owns every star that we see in the night sky and they are his handiwork. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures through all generations. Just recently, my wife told me, somebody asked her, you know, has Ensign won the lottery? And I said, what did you tell her? And she said, I didn't say anything. I said, in future, if anyone asks you if he has won the lottery, tell them, Yes, he has won several. The first one was when he was 20 years old, when he received the Lord Jesus into his life. That was the biggest lottery ticket I won, okay? Remember, when Abraham was sulking in his tent, God told Abraham, I am your very great reward. Church, you know, sometimes we think, you know, our house is a blessing, or this is a blessing, a job is a blessing. But the greatest blessing that you and I have is our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, eternal God, our Savior. He has come to reside within you and me. If you miss this fact, if you don't understand this is the greatest blessing, 
then you don't understand what you have received. Hallelujah. And I told them, you need to tell them, the second greatest blessing was when I was 26 years old, when I married this remarkable woman, Sunu. All right? Hallelujah. Okay? And then I've had several other blessings. All right? Which for the brevity of time, I'm not going into. Okay. The next one point is Isaiah 46.4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he... I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Do you believe this, church? Do you believe this? Okay. If you believe this, then throw your hat in. All right. The next one is Isaiah 43, where it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not, um, uh, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then again in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you believe this, church? Do you believe this? If so, step out in faith. The next point is this. We, have, we all have times of lack of faith or doubts or fears. All right? Most of the heroes of the Bible, if you read through this book, you'll find that most of the heroes of the Bible went through times such as this. Lack of faith, fears and doubts and everything. I go through these things at, you know, at sometimes in my life. You see, when we have a burden what happens is that we are looking at ourselves, okay? And when we look at ourselves, it's not a pretty sight because all that we see is failures, mistakes, and limitations, okay? But each time we spend with him and read his word, we are reminded of his faithfulness, of his love, of his promises. When I'm looking at him, I'm replenished, I'm restored, I'm miraculously transformed. So sometimes I am, you know, I'm carrying a burden and I'm driving to work and I'm sulking, you know, sitting in my car. And then after a little while, I lift up my eyes and look at the sky. I look at the trees, I look at the pasture lands, I look at the sheep, the birds, and I'm immediately reminded of the Creator, okay? of his majesty, of his wisdom, of his brilliance, okay? And then I am realigned with him and I'm restored. This happened with Abraham, you see, after he defeated these five kings, he was sitting in his tent and he was moody, he was depressed and he was thinking, I don't have any children, you know? He was a wealthy man, he said, who will inherit my wealth? So having wealth is a problem, guys, okay? So, all right? And then God had to take him out of the tent and he said, look at the sky. Look at the stars. Your children are going to be like the stars in the sky. So numerous. And uh, so taking the eyes of us and looking at God is essential in your Christian life. And that is why the writer to Hebrews writes like this in Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then he goes on. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
You see, in our work, you know, here, we saw no fruit for four years. All right? No fruit. Faithfully teaching and ministering every Sunday, you know, for four years, no fruit. God was teaching us a beautiful lesson in perseverance. He had only asked us to start and not to stop. And so we continued. Our first fruit came after four years of faithfully ministering and and teaching. So faith gives us perseverance. So my friends, keep asking yourself these questions. What does my faith look like? How much do I know my God? How does my knowledge of him reflect in my everyday life? What risks am I willing to take for God? Have I ever found myself outside of my comfort zone because of my love for God? Do I understand my father's business? Or am I fearful of hurting myself? Am I fearful of getting burnt out? You see, this fear of getting burnt out is a big fear amongst church leaders. But from my experience, I can tell you that you only burn out if you are running on dry. If you're doing everything in your strength, if what you're doing takes you outside of God's vision, if you're trying to copy someone else's work, if you're trying to create what God never intended you to create, and this is the most important, if you are trying to make a legacy for yourself, trying to make a name for yourself. You see, it is never about me. It is always about him. Hallelujah. Never about me. It is always about him. So I will encourage each person here, each leader here, to think about these things. So coming to the next point, how do I know I have faith? So if my trust for salvation is in Jesus alone, then I have faith. If I'm on mission, mission to reach out to the lost, then I have faith. If I have perseverance in God and in my mission, I have faith. You see, church, a church without mission uh, uh, is a dead church. And a church with a mission is an alive church. The mission is not to produce glossy pamphlets or an all-singing, all-dancing website or a beautiful building, all right? These are not bad, okay? I'm not saying these are wrong. These are not bad. Nothing wrong with them. And these were never a criteria for the church in the Bible. Jesus never said these things are essential. But our priority should be to reach our children, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, our town, and our nation with the love of Christ and invite them into the eternal kingdom of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If anything takes us away from this mission that God has called us to, then they are all dead works, all dead works, and they will burn up like chaff in the end, okay? We have beautiful examples of individual brilliance and faith in this church. When I see David Devonish, I don't know whether David is here today. Maybe he's not. David and Scylla. You know, whenever you see, see him sitting in the chair, he's like, you know, like a horse raring to go into battle. Okay? You know, he reminds me of Caleb who said, I was 40 when Moses called me. Now I'm 85. I'm strong, you know, as when Moses called me. And I'm as vigorous to go into battle. You know, he has served 
this country, you know, served many people, planted many churches in this nation and churches all over the world. Uncle Charles, you know, Charles Bissessar and Afros, who, you know, God joined with us, you know, when we started this outreach meeting. See, this is the thing. When God sets something on your heart, he has got other people on the sidelines and he connects you with them. You know, it's all in his plan, okay? We don't need to worry. We don't need to have planning meetings. He brings everything together. Mohan and Lata, who are here, you know, amazing couple. They have been, since the day they landed in this country, I don't know how many years, 20 years or whatever, they have been ministering every Sunday, every Sunday, all right? Thanks to you guys. My ex-colleague and the late Isaac and Rebecca, you know, who have been serving amongst the Telugu-speaking people for years and years and years. Hudson and Vidya, who've been ministering to Tamil-speaking groups and serving this church and serving the young people of this church and getting them connected and getting them into the worship team and all of those things. Samuel and Teresa May, you know, your amazing work and faithfulness among people from in Sudan and other African nations. And Sue Lee and Ron and, you know, how you faithfully ministered, you know, years and years in Albania. Brian and Eileen, how you faithfully served for years and years. I can keep talking about, you know, examples of individual brilliance and effort. But what we are looking for is corporate effort and brilliance, all right? You see, in the church in Antioch, everyone was involved. In the church in Jerusalem, we read in Acts chapter 2, I think, or 3, I can't remember. Everyone is involved, the leaders and all the believers. And now it's the right time to put up Martin's vision here for the church. Can we have that? That is the, the, the vision that Martin has for the church for this next phase going forward. But looking at this vision, I will say it is lifeless. There's no life in it. It's like a skeleton, okay? Lifeless skeleton. Do you agree with me? You're wondering where I'm going, all right? <laughs> now, guys, what is going to give this vision life? What is going to give this vision life? You and me, you and me, church. It's you and me, and the presence of God in you and me, and the love of God that is you and me, and the power of God that is flowing through you and me. We are going to give this, you know, vision life. Each one of us, each leader here, each staff member here, we are going to give it life, okay? If it needs legs to run, whose legs will it be? It's mine and yours, the legs of every church leader, every staff member, okay? If we need to give it wings to fly, to take off, whose will it be? It'll be you and me, every leader and every staff member. Hallelujah. Together, church, we can become a powerful, united team through which God can exert his mighty power and unleash his love and his grace. You see, there is no compulsion. In Christendom, there is no compulsion. Neither does God compel you, nor does the church. It is your choice. 
But can I encourage you, church, to step out in faith, simple faith, okay? Let us not give up meeting together on Sundays and in community groups. Remember that. Community groups very essential. Let us be church on a mission to save the lost. Let us give this vision life. Let, it, let us give it legs to run, and let us give it wings to take off. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'll hand over. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.